The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders in their organizations, identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at universities in the U.S. and Germany. I'm delighted that with us this week is Buddy Tester. Buddy is the president and CEO of Souls for Souls, a nonprofit social enterprise that creates sustainable jobs and provides relief through the distribution of shoes and clothing around the world. Since 2006, Souls for Souls has distributed more than 30 million pairs of shoes in 125 countries. In addition to having worked for and now is a member of Young Presidents Organization, Buddy is also a committed runner, having completed more than 60 ultra marathons so I'm going to ask you at some point (laughs) how does that contribute to how you lead absolutely I am interviewing someone this afternoon shockingly the only other person I know who does ultra marathons will be with me in the studio (laughs) this afternoon so the two of you are are a unique breed So I want the Voice America series to provide information to leaders and emerging leaders that you don't hear many other places. I recognize that as the pace of change in our world accelerates, the challenge for leaders to stay current on the many trends we face can be overwhelming. So my goal is to present leaders from across the range of industries and expertise to allow you to hear what you may not hear anyplace else in a format that is also unplugged, as we might say. So the outcome of this session, increasingly non Profits or not-for-profits are acting more like businesses, and businesses are moving more towards social enterprise. And so we're seeing the convergence in many ways, including how leaders look at leadership and how they look at how we measure bottom line and, and contribution. And I think Buddy is an exceptional example of what that non-for-profit CEO looks like and the, the impact that good CEOs can, can make in the world. So in each conversation, I ask listeners to be thinking about what do you hear today that you can put into practice in your work immediately. If leaders are like scientists, we will 
be continually refining how we lead our organizations, and that's through trial and error. And so my goal is that you hear something from Buddy and each of our guests that you can put into practice irrespective of who you lead, whether it be a nonprofit or a for-profit or a kid's softball team. So, Buddy, let's start with what's an ultramarathoner and what does that have to do with how you lead? Well, the definition is very simple. It's anything longer than a marathon. Usually those are 50K, which is 31 miles, 50 miles, 100K, or 100 miles. Those are the other ones, but those are the typical ones. And they're on the road. They're on the trail. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago when I started, it was still kind of a niche thing, but now... Mm -hmm. You know, there are races that I've done where there are five or 600 people who will do one of these. So it's grown tremendously, uh-huh. but it's still, you know, it's beyond the level of suffering that most people are willing to, <laughs> to do, actually. So so which one do you do or do you do, do all of them? I've done all of them. Um, so you've all done the 100 miler as well? I've done about, I think, 16 or 1700 miler. Wow. So my other colleague does the 100 milers. It's There's probably a smaller crowd for that. That's a smaller crowd. That's a smaller crowd. <laughs> you probably know him. But, you know, 10 years ago when I started doing my first 100-mile, you know, it was easy to get in a race. You could just uh-huh. sort of show up and do it. And now they're almost all lottery. It's hard to get into. Really? They're, one of my favorite races is in Colorado called the Hard Rock 100. There are 1,000 applicants for 140 slots. Wow. So, and you already have to have run a qualifying race to get in that. So the pool is small, but... Um, for some of these races, in part because sometimes they are in remote and spectacularly beautiful places. Mm -hmm. They have to keep them small. So that's part of it. But I think a lot of people over the last 20 years have wondered what's after a marathon. And so for a lot of people, the ultra is the answer to that. And it doesn't really require a ton more training. It requires a ton more mental discipline, right? The physical part is not as different as you might think. Mentally, it's a whole different ballgame. So one of the questions I often ask CEOs is, how'd you get here? And I hear definitely mental discipline (laughs) and physical discipline. And lots of people could never imagine running a marathon. You know, I really believe, with a few exceptions, you know, people have legitimate physical limitations that they Mm can't. But mostly that's not the case. There's there's these things, there's an app now, the Couch to 5K, right? To get people going from Hmm. not moving, you follow this course over a few months, Uh and then you run a 5K. It's just a little bit dialing up a little bit to get to a Mm -hmm. marathon. For me, that was exactly, it's a lot, (laughs) but it's really, some of it's physical. I think once you, you know, you, you get past 13, Mm -hmm. 15 miles, 20 miles, the difference diminishes quickly, but can you stay out there for 24, 36 hours? That's, that's not, that's not minor. That's a difference in kind, not just (laughs) in degree. So Mm -hmm. that does, I think, um, attract a different kind of person. Mm -hmm. And I think the. Emphasis on often self-reliance and persistence because at some point it is going to suck, right? There's no way to be out there that long and have it to be great the whole time. And so, you know, when it gets like that, what do you do? How do you mm-hmm. dig in yourself to find the reason you want to continue or maybe you're in a place where it hurts more to quit <laughs> than to continue or it's mm-hmm. harder to get out than to just keep going? Mm-hmm. So sometimes the trail itself forces that on you, but mentally... If you're not locked in from the beginning, there are so many reasons and opportunities to quit that it really does, I think, develop a lot of mental discipline that mm-hmm. applies in lots of other places. I climbed Kilimanjaro, and there's a commitment to getting to Africa, to training for it. But getting to the summit is a whole different... <laughs> and to your point, it's not just physical stamina, because everyone was sick. Right. By the time you get to that altitude, bodies who are living... 
at sea level aren't designed for it. Exactly right. And so all kinds of things happen that they don't show you on the videos. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So there was a mental, more mental than physical. While it was certainly physical, it would have been easier to quit. Absolutely. And it always is. Mm -hmm. There's a guy who writes a lot for the ultra world, and he talks about looking at a race to see where people quit. Mm. And there's almost always a place where it's easy to stop. You know, mm-hmm. the car is there, the trail is easy, <laughs> there's help, whatever. Yeah. All these things. And he talks about, he's a, he is really crazy, this guy. I mean, the races <laughs> he designs and the way he approaches them, he's kind of insane. That point of where are those places where you are likely to quit? I mean, there's a lot of insight to that, really, to think or about. Or say you apply that to organizations absolutely. and leadership. There's no question that you're going to get to a place where it's easier to quit to continue, and so you need to have your reasons for getting past that point. Mm-hmm. So now let's transition to each of us take a different role to running an organization. How did the person who can do 60 ultra marathons may have taken a slightly different path than somebody else. How did you get here, and how does that change the culture? Or the culture of your organization is likely different than one run by a couch potato. Right. <laughs> In some ways, right? Yeah, I think I think there are probably some. I certainly, personally, there have been lots of times I've looked through the lens of thinking about when I came to Souls for Souls about five years ago, it was in really bad shape. Financially, mm-hmm. the governance was a mess. I lost the trust of a lot of our donors and mm-hmm. um, supporters. And so this ability to be patient, to realize that it is probably going to get worse, it's certainly going to get harder, Mm -hmm. and just the reason to push through and be articulate about that. So when I'm doing an ultra, it's mostly making sure I understand Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But now we had an organization and a board and, Mm -hmm. you know, a community of people who cared at one point, and we had to make sure that we pushed through the reasons that they weren't trusting us to to regain that. And so personally, that was important to me to understand Mm -hmm. that, you know, Sometimes that's a hard metaphor or a hard analogy for people to, who aren't <laughs> ultramarathoners to understand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think we did talk a lot about our values so that there was clarity about what mattered. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it was easy for me to articulate, guys, this is a long haul. This isn't something that we fix in 30, 60, 90 days. Mm-hmm. This is a years long sort of process. Mm-hmm. So setting expectations really mattered a lot. And you know, some people wanted a quick fix and they didn't stay. But I think for those of us who really understood what we were undertaking, mm-hmm. knowing that this was a three-year process helped a lot get through those rough spots. So the metaphor of a journey in this case wasn't a metaphor. It was not a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty literal, exactly. Well, and most transformations are. And when I think of the range of things that probably you have done and I have done, you come in to, even to implement a software system requires a change in the way the organization looks at the business and their identity. And for many of the leaders, it's a change in identity. I remember the first day that I came. So Souls for Souls had a lot of bad press over the previous 18 months before I came. So let's let's actually, let me let you stop for just a second. What is Souls for Souls? For (laughs) listeners, I I skipped that question. (laughs) So Souls for Souls collects and distributes new and used shoes and clothes all over the world. So this year we'll collect about 5 million pairs of shoes and a couple million pounds of clothes. Mm -hmm. And about half of those are new and half are used. And then we do two things with those. Some we give away for free. Like right now, we are literally in the process of gathering shoes and clothes to send to people in southeast Texas after uh-huh. the floods, right? So, yeah. you know, we're not... As the, of today, as like as you're of today, doing that. Exactly. I mean, it's... The devastation there is really staggering. Mm-hmm. 
thousands of displaced people. So a lot of them left without anything, right, other than what they had on their back. Yeah. So we can play a part in that. So disaster mm -hmm. relief is a part of what we do. We help in the U.S. Just, you know, we've distributed shoes here in Columbus, all over this country, to school kids, homeless adults, women in shelters, wow. that sort of thing. And we do that all around the world. Mm -hmm. And we only give away free product that is new. So we make, you know, if you're in a spot where you need something new, uh, you need some shoes or clothes, we want to make sure mm -hmm. it's new. Mm -hmm. But we also collect a lot of used product and all of the used product and some of the new, if we have permission, we sell to people in the developing world. Okay. And then they resell it as a way to make a living. So uh -huh. what we've evolved to over the last few years is thinking about that part of what we do as a way to get out of poverty, right? It's a, mm -hmm. It creates jobs, it creates economic opportunity in a sustainable way that does not depend on handouts or grants or anything like that. It's a transaction. So micro-enterprise, basically. Exactly, that's exactly right. So those are the two sides of what we do. What do we give away for free to help people in the short term? And how do we think about that in the long term by giving people a sustainable way to earn a living so they can, and their families can get out of poverty? And so the ones that you sell also feed the business and keep you running. I'm Absolutely. Assuming. So for us, our business model is we earn about 75%, 70, 75% of our revenue from selling shoes and our travel program. So we have three or 400 people a year who travel with us and they pay for that. And we provide an on-the-ground experience in places like Haiti and Honduras, Guatemala, mm. Costa Rica. Okay. It's a service experience for the okay. most part. That Ecotourism kind of. Exactly. Okay. So you know, we try to focus on the service part. Okay. We struggle with that sometimes when we're a little bit is, you know, we don't want to, we don't want, we don't want to be poverty tourism where you kind of come in and go, oh, look at the poor people and then you go back and you're grateful for a few weeks, but then you go back to, mm -hmm. your, but that's a part of what we do is at least help people understand that, mm -hmm. but it creates economic opportunity in those places. It's, mm -hmm. we're hiring. So we create economic opportunity in those places by hiring guides and vans and eating and hotels, but it really is a way for people to understand the other side of our mission to give mm -hmm. away shoes for free part that's mm -hmm. the real focus of those and then the other 30 percent of our revenue comes from grants and donations uh, we do a lot of cause marketing with companies that's an important way that we allow companies to engage their employees or their customers in the mission okay. so that's the other part of our model so a company could say we donate five percent of our profits to souls for souls exactly often we try to make it a little more tied into what they do and what we do mm -hmm. so for example Forever no shoes radio? Where was that? <laughs> well, Forever 21 is a great example. Okay. Every year, they donate uh, buy one, give one. And then okay. you know, they talk about how their product is going to help people in the developing world create jobs. So they're able to engage their mostly young, millennial mm -hmm. kind of customers. Mm -hmm. And it gives them a very clear tie-in to what okay. they're doing at the counter and what their product is. Well, and there was a concert yesterday, and just because this was yesterday. That's right. It was yesterday. So Kenny Chesney, big country artist. He has a brand of rum called Blue Chair Rum, and his followers are called the Barefoot Nation, which is obviously a tie-in with Souls for Souls. Mm -hmm. And so over the course of the last few months, we worked on a partnership and resulted in, I think it was a sort of a festival concert sort of thing in uh, just outside of Boston at Foxborough Stadium where the New England Patriots play. So it was a big venue. And I talked to one of the Souls for Souls team who was there, and they said people were literally taking off their shoes and dropping them in the box when they heard what it was about. Mm -hmm. so that's a way for him to engage with his uh, fans mm -hmm. in a way that you know, goes beyond the music, talks okay. about his purpose. So I love the idea, especially as we're talking about social enterprise, this idea that businesses can engage their audience. And we're always looking for a way to engage folks. I mean, the great, one of the great things that I, I think Souls for Souls can offer is a really powerful way to engage, especially employees. 
they're, they're hungry for it. You know, mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. you read is about people wanting a purpose. Mm-hmm. So Adidas is a great example for us. They donate a lot of product, uh, samples and returns and that sort of thing. And it was going okay. Everybody mm-hmm. was sort of happy. We traveled with some of their team to Haiti earlier this year, and they saw what microenterprise, how it worked. They saw free shoe distribution. They met some of the entrepreneurs selling these shoes. Mm-hmm. They came back on fire. They're going to do two mm-hmm. big trips a year with us. They're donating more product because they see the impact that it has. And it mm-hmm. all came from that sort of personal interaction and really understanding this is not just a, an inventory solution, although it is, mm-hmm. but it really has a way to have a pretty significant impact in a place like Haiti. And just then coming back to running a company, having folks who are energized about coming to work because they're doing something good in the world versus I'm making shoes or making someone more money, paying dividends to stockholders. Those are all good and important things. Right. Right. But it's different than I'm helping Maria that I met in Costa Rica or Haiti feed her family. It, it hits me in a different place. There's no question. I would say that that is 90% a good thing mm-hmm. to have, uh, you know, we have a team of about 45 engaged in that way who really care about the work. Mm-hmm. It also sometimes makes it complicated to make the business decisions, right? So the other side of that is, why aren't we giving away for free? Why, you know, there are all these questions about mm-hmm. sometimes when we have to make a decision, what goes into microenterprise and what do we give away for free? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's always a mission component to that, but there's also sometimes a financial component, like we have payroll to meet this week. And so mm-hmm. and so the people who are there for the work and the mission, they sometimes like, what are you doing? Well, so, and this is where running a business, a nonprofit, doesn't mean we go out of business. Something we say a lot is no margin, no mission, right? So, mm-hmm. so this is the social enterprise side. Exactly. But when I came to Souls for Souls, there had never been any transparency around the money. It was always mm-hmm. like, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. It wasn't fine. <laughs> I've been on boards of nonprofits, and, and I came into a university when we were in receivership, and we needed to be acquired. Wow. Because we were so focused on delivering education, and for folks who couldn't afford it, we still wanted them to have the education. And then, how do you make payroll? Exactly. And so it was, it was being mission-focused without being also financially smart. And that's where, you know, it goes that way with for-profit companies. When you have mm-hmm. bad governance, leadership not focused, it can all go wrong. Mm-hmm. But when you have this mission component of we're supposed to be here to help people and that gets compromised, then you find out why people really are there and that mm-hmm. makes a big difference. So thank you. I love the tie-in with the mission component and running a solid business. We need to do both. So this is Maureen Metcalf and Betty Tester, and we will be right back with Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. 
We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Starting and running a business can be hard. Moving forward and keeping the excitement alive can be difficult to do. I'm Joe Hosman. If you are experiencing the struggles of opening or sustaining a business or even knowing you need a change in your life, you want to tune in to my show, Go For It. My guests and I will show you the steps needed to build something positive in your week. Listen every Thursday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You are with Maureen Metcalf and Buddy Teaster from Souls for Souls. Let's talk a little bit about the culture in Souls for Souls. Because again, let's tie it back to Ultra Marathon and your personality. And you mentioned something about a hockey team. So when I came to Souls for Souls five years ago, I think there was a lot of work that needed to be done. The culture, mm-hmm. the, you know, people felt betrayed by some of the things they found out about the organization, mostly in the press, which is never how mm-hmm. you want to find out about it if you work someplace. So there was a lot of mistrust. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, things were so bad that all we could do was build up, right? Mm-hmm. So so in that way, so that way it was, you know, <laughs> looking back, <laughs> I could see some opportunity. It didn't feel that way at the time, really. But we clarified a lot about what our values were. And the okay. first one was around transparency. Again, there mm-hmm. hadn't been a lot of transparency previously. Uh, I think on lots of levels. We said, guys, we're going to tell the truth to each other about everything from mm-hmm. now on. Mm-hmm. Everybody said, yay! Seems easy, but and then And then you start telling the truth, right? Yeah. About, <laughs> here's where we are financially. And there are some people who rightly said, am, am I going to have a job here in 30 days? I'm like, don't know. I don't know. We're going to work like hell to see that, that everybody does, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. And of course, nobody believes that at the beginning, right? Yeah, you're just a new guy and Mm-hmm. We'll see. Mm-hmm. So I think by demonstrating that consistently and saying, here's where we really are, mm-hmm. um, here's how we're going to get to the next stage, and then communicating daily, weekly about that, mm-hmm. build a lot of trust back okay. so that people said, okay, this transparent thing is for real. And when they found out that they could say things that were negative and they were hurt and the rest of that, and mm-hmm. they didn't get pounded for that. you know. So those things are little tiny things, but they all matter, and it takes time. Yeah. But that was for us the bedrock. And then we did things like, okay, if we're supporting entrepreneurs in a big part of our business, mm-hmm. we need to be entrepreneurial. So that's our second mm-hmm. one. We need to be accountable to each other, which was something that had, I think, been lacking, certainly seemed to be. Mm-hmm. And we had to make sure that what 
and this is a point you made earlier, that what we're doing is meaningful. And in mm-hmm. the sense that it's meaningful for us and what we do, and that the output of that is meaningful to someone else that the, we care about. You actually about. have good results. Exactly. So with those four things in place, that has really been the foundation on which we build everything else. Mm-hmm. So you know, now five years later, we're, we have a phenomenal board. So the governance piece, um, which was a key component to earning the trust of the outside audiences, because mm-hmm. the board had let things get off the rails. Mm-hmm with our customers to say, guys, this is what we're doing with your product, because they didn't know that we were selling it. Ah, right. that seems like a betrayal. It's a, that's exactly the right word, Maureen. And um, if you're a company, you can't have that, right? Mm-hmm. Like you and I could have a conversation about you being betrayed, but if I've damaged your brand, that's a whole different kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of that. But over time, again, mm-hmm. we just sort of owned up, we took our licks, which there mm-hmm. were plenty, <laughs> and said, okay, here's what we're going to do about it. And I would say probably 95% of those brands and companies came back to work with us. Not all. Some okay. have said, I don't think I can get over it, or I found another way to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. With all that now, we are at a place where our board is strong, financially we're healthier than we've ever been. We have a lot of clarity around our impact and how mm-hmm. do we keep track of whether or not we're, the work mm-hmm. is meaningful to mm-hmm. us and to others. And we have an engaged group of people that are pushing us and the rest of our executive team every day to say, is this the best we can do, right? So when it's when it comes from that direction, mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. as the executive team pushing hard, I, I cannot believe the progress we've made in the last five years. One of the fun things about that, and sort of back to your comment of, you know, sort of how I've had an influence in the organization other than those things, and it's been a team effort, so I want to Mm-hmm. be clear about that yeah and I make the assumption that leaders lead inspired people yeah and it only works when everyone is 100 going in the same direction and so through the fitness thing one small part that's been fun is we got everybody a Fitbit mm-hmm. and then we started a Fitbit challenge so first that was internal but then we've also reached out to donors and travelers and supporters mm-hmm. so we challenged the Nashville Predators to a Which fit, is a hockey team. Which is a hockey people. team in Nashville. <laughs> and if you're a hockey fan, they they were this close to winning the Stanley Cup this year. But it was a way for us to go a whole level deeper with someone who supports social mm-hmm. souls. They sort of like mm-hmm. we sort of know each other, but now we're at midnight looking at who's got the most steps and who's gonna close <laughs> out the day at the top. And it just created a, a different level and way to engage with them. Uh, there's a big Canadian company that's just come on board in the last year called Arden, and we're about to offer them a challenge to okay. see if we can, because they have, I think, 400 stores across Canada. It will be a whole different level of mm-hmm. engagement mm-hmm. because they want to get their employees at the store level involved. So that's an opportunity for us to go way beyond. They donate their product to us, and we put it to use in some faraway place where it mm-hmm. might be abstract. Now we're going to have a way to see day-to-day how people are engaged with their health. I was going to say, the, the foundation of health, it's hard to run a healthy organization when the humans working there are so overworked and not sleeping and not exactly. not exercising. And for us, it's certainly not a filter up front, but it is another way to say, man, there's a lot of alignment. They really do care about the people who work there mm-hmm. because they are committed to their fitness in a way that other organizations aren't. So it's fun to be able mm-hmm. to have another avenue into that. One of the things I'm passionate about is resilience. And we talk about personal resilience, but we often don't look at which organizations can support their employees being resilient. And what does that look like? And it does not look like I'm answering email at midnight and I'm expected to be so attached to my devices that I can't have a healthy balance. We have one employee. He's our controller. Tim has been there from the beginning of Souls for Souls. Mm -hmm. Not healthy for the most part. Smokes, Mm -hmm. drank 
literally a six pack of Mountain Dew a day, which is basically battery acid. And so not healthy. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. he totally leaned into this thing. Tim lost, I don't know, 30 pounds. He still smokes, but he cut out the Mountain Dew. And now he gets up and walks every hour. We have walking meetings when these challenges are going on. And so it changed a lot of the dynamics. And, it, and so Tim has continued that. That's been 18 months ago. He's just a healthier guy mm -hmm. because of that. And people notice it and say things, and he feels better about himself. Mm -hmm. So there are all of these benefits. So even somebody who's been there for 10 years through all the tough times mm -hmm. and the great times, that we really want him to be a healthy person, not just mm -hmm. you know somebody who's in there crunching the numbers. I think has spoken volumes to him. We're recording in an NPR studio in Columbus, Ohio, and the general manager is also very fit and very fitness focused. So all of our meetings are walking meetings. Perfect. It, rain, snow. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a joke. I come in, you know, <laughs> bundled up like you know the kid from Christmas Story or something, <laughs> because we're going to be walking for a couple hours. It's not a five-minute walk. It's a two-hour walk. And Perfect. It just, work takes on a different tone when it's about the content, but also, as you said, the care for our employees. When leaders deeply care about the health and safety and long-term success of their employees, it feels different going to work. Now, one of the things for us, Maureen, that we, I think is not a small thing, it started out, so we have based a lot of our work on something called the Rockefeller Habits by mm -hmm. an author named Vern Harnish. That then got turned into scaling up. So it's a really it's a way to sort of what's your twenty year vision? What does it look like in three years, one year, quarter, week to week? Okay, so you do twenty year vision. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's interesting because I hear people saying we don't know what's going to happen. Changes so frequent that we don't plan anymore. So say why you. Do so I don't years. know that we. Would, I don't think I'd call it a twenty year plan. Okay, I would say that we have a vision of how we disrupt the cycle of poverty that will uh, take 20 years to come to fruition, okay. right? So, yeah, so I also happen to be a proponent of long-term visioning, and yeah, of course the plan's gonna change. Right. But but no North Star, not helpful. No, <laughs> but for three years we think we can see, so we have a goal around economic impact mm -hmm. of having $100 million of economic impact by 2020. And how do you measure economic impact? What does that mean? It's something we really had to wrestle down because okay. initially we thought, well, we'll measure people's incomes and how does that change? Mm -hmm. That's, first of all, really hard mm -hmm. um, in places like Haiti where most of the people we work with are illiterate. Okay. Um, so they're not doing... They're not filling out forms. And there's also cultural reasons that people don't want to tell you how much they make. We certainly do that. Mm -hmm. We know that in the U.S. I mean, mm -hmm. so that's not mm -hmm. unique. But they're also, in Haiti is a very specific example... They were worried that if we, if they told us how much they made, you we would use that against them yeah. in negotiating the price of the next shipment of shoes. Mm -hmm. So we thought, you know what, we're not, not a hill we are going to take, <laughs> right? So we started saying, what is the economic impact of a pair of shoes? So how much economic activity gets generated in that country that mm -hmm. stays in that country that's focused on the people we care about? Okay. So in some places, we're working through brokers, and we don't really care about them that much, right? They're doing fine, but the woman mm -hmm. selling shoes in the market is not. So we, that's who we're mm -hmm. focused on. Mm -hmm. So we have assigned different values to where they are in the chain. And so a pair of shoes in a place like Haiti, where we have cut out almost all the middlemen, and it goes essentially right to her, well, that's that might be worth $15 of economic impact. And if places like... 
Tanzania where we don't have an on-the-ground partner, that might mm-hmm. only be worth $5. There's still some benefit, but okay, not as much. Okay, because you still have the brokers. Exactly. And, and if okay. somebody else is taking the, most of the margin. Mm-hmm. And there's a value to free shoes. So if you give a pair of free shoes to someone, they don't have to buy that, right? So there's some economic mm-hmm. Ad- mm-hmm. benefit to that. So we've looked at then how do we distribute the shoes, where do we distribute them, what's the value of clothes, which is much harder to assign. And we've come up with some pretty simple but testable, verifiable numbers. Mm-hmm. And then we look at how many shoes and pounds of clothes we collect and say, okay, if we're going to get to $100 million, here's what that looks like. And the good news is we are already, we think, probably 25% ahead of that by 2020. Wow. But when we set that goal, it seemed kind of insane <laughs> to mm-hmm. think that we could get there. But it's still focused on the impact of the people who are earning the money or getting the free shoes and clothes. And it allows us to actually keep track of it instead of depending on all these other variables, mm-hmm. which are so hard to manage. And we're, you know, big organizations have a hard time measuring economic impact, mm-hmm. and we're not one. <laughs> so we went to something that we can go back and consistently apply. I was going to say that the consistency over time it's an approximation, but it it's a consistent approximation. You know, we even went back. We had a board meeting earlier this summer, and said, "What would this, what's the economic impact from the time that Souls for Souls started to the end mm-hmm. of 2020? So that's about 15 years. It'll be close to half a billion dollars. And that's half a billion dollars that families have as income or expenses they don't have to pay. That's exactly right. So impacting the cycle, not just. I'm, I didn't have to buy shoes, but cycle of poverty because you're helping people start micro-enterprises. Absolutely. Wow. So any idea how many families? Boy, it's hard to say, Maureen. You know, when we think about 30 million pairs of shoes distributed over the last 10, 11 years, mm-hmm. that's a lot more families impacted than that. Mm-hmm. Hard to say, though. And so I've learned to just be very comfortable saying, I don't mm-hmm. know. It's a lot. Millions. Millions Millions of families. Millions of families. That's exactly right. Yeah. And will be impacted long term. Because even if they're not continuing to sell shoes, they've started an enterprise. Absolutely. So we have plenty of examples now of mostly women who were nearly homeless and now Mm -hmm. have bought land and built a house. Another woman in Haiti, she can't read or write, but she sent her, I love this story, she sent her oldest kid to university he's there now university so yeah. from can't read and write yeah he went to university he came back to one of the organizations that helped his mother start this business mm-hmm. and helped them build a school with his engineering skills that he learned in universities wow like that you can't beat that story right yeah i mean that is everything that it's supposed to be so it's not always that dramatic but there are example after example in country after country of if you give people access to a good supply of shoes at a great price you put the money in their hands they know what to do right you don't need a lot of mm-hmm. rules around that in fact probably our American rules are not helpful no, not helpful and that's one of the reasons we like to work with women they tend mm-hmm. to focus on their families which is obviously aligned yeah. with what yeah. we want to do and that's what they do right they don't, they don't mm-hmm. come back and say sorry I need more shoes because I Drank, drank it or gambled away. it or whatever. I mean, they say, I want more shoes because I have another kid or I'd like to get mm-hmm. my whole family in this house and that I'm building. So mm-hmm. it's so congruent with what we want to do that it is great to see it happen. And this is a place where my cynicism comes in and what you're doing seems to have circumvented that. That we often have 
organizations that very well intended give stuff away, try to do something good in the world, and in fact, leave the people they're trying to help worse off in the long term because they've taken away the opportunity to be self-sufficient. And it sounds like you're building the, the path forward for them to either continue selling shoes or do other things. But they've learned a great deal of skills in the process. And I also find, Maureen, that a lot of places, they already are doing this, right? And mm -hmm. it's, it's not like, in some cases, we're helping them learn skills. In some mm -hmm. cases, all they need is a better supply. So when we boil it down, it's really unsexy. If we can give them better shoes at a better price, they have a better outcome. Well, and in some of these countries, we climbed Kilimanjaro, left Tanzania. It was right after an airline strike, and so several people didn't pack properly, and their hiking boots were not in their carry-ons. The airline strike meant their luggage didn't arrive. We had people sleeping in kids' Smurf sleeping bags. We're talking at altitude, it's freezing, not relatively freezing, it's below freezing and they didn't have shoes. There, there wasn't a <laughs> REI to go to to buy hiking boots. Our, many of our guides did this barefoot. Wow. So getting a pair of shoes to climb a mountain, and we've just come to the place where whenever we hike, we leave our shoes behind, <laughs> right. hiking boots, because they, they don't have oh, them. Fantastic. No access. <clears throat> so what you're doing also creates kind of a healthy workplace, right? If you're a hiking guide and you don't have shoes, shoes that's are a problem. I didn't really sort of know this, but they prevent a lot of disease and injury. They allow, in many cases, a kid to go to school without the right pair of shoes. You mm -hmm. can't go, even if you can afford the fees and the rest of it. Hmm. And often it also allows people to work. So shoes are an enabler for a lot of other great things that, at least for me until five years ago when I started, I didn't put a lot of time into thinking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we all wear shoes. We just put them on, right? Yeah. You know, the fact that you go into your closet and decide which pair of shoes <laughs> mm -hmm. turns out to be a big deal. And when you can get a black pair of sh tie shoes for a kid to go to school, a pair of flip-flops so that they aren't getting cut or getting mm -hmm. some sort of, mm -hmm. and there are lots of diseases that come from that, or the parents can go to work, it makes a lot of things possible. So what a brilliant note to end this segment on. What What is possible and things we never considered? Because you're right, I go into my closet and figure out what matches. <laughs> Not, there's nothing there. Right. So we will be right back. Uh, Buddy Teaster, Maureen Metcalf, Souls for Souls, and talking about social enterprise. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. 
Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on The Voice America. America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You're joining Betty Teaster and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about social enterprise and not-for-profits and how those are coming together. So, Buddy, you talked about exactly that, that social enterprise and business are now starting to look a lot more similar than the old model of either I work for a nonprofit or I work for a business. So tell me a little bit more about what you're seeing. So I think... Generally, people seem to be hungrier for purpose maybe than ever. Like mm-hmm. there's some meaning mm-hmm. to what they do other than a paycheck. It's easy and sort of stereotypical to talk about in the not-for-profit context. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to sort of demonize off on the other side of like mm-hmm. you're just in it for the dough. And what we find is for ourselves as a social enterprise and mm-hmm. for the best kind of partners for us, it's when those lines get really blurry. That but you see, it makes me angry when people think that all business people are greedy and just in it for the money. And it also... It's not... My experience is it's not true. Absolutely. And I think corporate folks look at not-for-profit and say they don't understand business. They are sort of soft-hearted, soft-headed mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? <laughs> also not true. Also not true. There, there are people in both buckets for whom those stereotypes apply. Exactly. Right. There's but a not curve. the majority. <laughs> right. So when, when those things line up, to me, that is when when really magical things can kind of happen. Mm-hmm. So we tell a story, for example, around microenterprise. It appeals to business people because they understand capitalism and markets, and mm-hmm. that's, that's our story, right? We mm-hmm. believe in that, too. So when we say, okay, here's how you can engage your employees with purpose. We can tell you how your product or your donation is going to have a direct impact, and mm-hmm. here's what that means. We can bring those stories back into the organization for the employees or the customers. We can say, here's how we're going to solve your inventory problem, right? You need product to not show back up in the U.S. or only go in these markets, and we make that happen for you. So you save on landfill costs, and you get and a tax break. And your stuff's not going discounted. Exactly. It's not showing up online, or people aren't returning it. So, mm-hmm. again, all these alignment things, we try to first be a good business partner, because that mm-hmm. allows us to have the kind of impact that we want to have. But we start with impact. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't get to have the partnership conversation. Mm-hmm. And... You know, with only 45 people, and we distribute shoes in 120 countries, partnership is critical to us. So understanding what the business's needs are is the starting point for us. So 
125 countries. That mm -hmm. means you are truly global. Absolutely. There's hardly any place you don't touch. There's almost no place we haven't been. I was in Morocco a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. and we were meeting with a group of women who three years ago would never even been in the room with us, right? It would have been impossible mm -hmm. for them to be in, in a room with men who were not their immediate family. And yet here they are talking for religious to, reasons. For religious reasons, okay. right. For this meeting, though, they're talking about how they could get in the shoe business, and they said, we want to be the 126th country where you distribute shoes. So that just amazes me, right? Yeah. So we have business to bring us together, mm -hmm. bridges this cultural, big cultural gap, yeah. and they see the opportunity at how selling shoes in Morocco could help them save money so they can make the Hajj to Mecca, which is the highest. All 30 women in the room wanted that to happen. So this supports their spiritual and life Absolutely. And it makes complicated relationships at home with their husbands because now they're earning an income. So the mm -hmm. culture is changing because of that. You know, that's a bigger conversation than Souls for Souls. But it's an important one to notice. Absolutely. Back to that, we can do damage if we're not attending to the bigger picture about what we're up to. Right. And having a partner on the ground who understands that and guides us because it would be easy mm -hmm. to come in and say you know set up shop and sell shoes and that's not how it works and mm -hmm. whether that's in morocco or sierra leone or eastern europe or honduras all those have their cultural nuances right and we work in all those places in a very on the ground kind of way so we're able to offer our corporate and our traveler communities access to those kinds of places mm -hmm. and experiences mm -hmm. to see the benefit that they're having to challenge them culturally <laughs> and mm -hmm. sort of what their assumptions are. Certainly ours get challenged all the time. And that's where this whole, you know, back to your original point, the difference between not-for-profit social enterprise and a business really gets blurry when you bring all those things together mm -hmm. because there are elements of each. And if, if we can find the right way to sort of celebrate them, highlight them, mm -hmm. people leave back, go back changed. You know, the other thing that strikes me, again, I keep talking about this environment of change, and we've got big problems in our world right now, uh, poverty being one of them, mm -hmm. obesity, terrorism, geopolitical unrest, all of these, and it can't be solved by business, it can't be solved by NGOs alone, it can't be solved by nonprofits alone. We really have to work together, bringing the best of each of our talents and, and experiences to address complex situations, and it sounds like your organization is doing exactly that. Well, I'm glad you hear that. <laughs> That's certainly <laughs> how we think about what we do. And yet, like the piece of the puzzle we have is so small, right? The shoes and clothes, it's not clean water, it's not electricity, it's not mm. finance. I mean, there's all these other things that are m much bigger, education. But our little piece, because it's so foundational, great word I mean it's a way that connects a lot of these dots mm -hmm. and the other thing I would say I, this is my own personal experience but mm -hmm. I see it every time people engage with us mm -hmm. all those things that you mentioned all those real issues that are tearing us apart in some mm -hmm. ways you're also never going to get a different opinion if you don't get out of your seat and yeah. go, right? So whether that's going into a different part of your city where you don't go or going halfway around the world that sort of confrontation mm -hmm. with really another reality, not mediated through a newspaper or a magazine or a website, mm -hmm. nobody comes back the same after that. I came back from Africa very different. It kind of rocked how I saw things, yeah. again, foundationally. And it was, like you said, it wasn't those poor people. 
there were people living on the planet very differently. Mm-hmm. And they are happy and fulfilled in their lives. They have less stuff. Yeah. But that doesn't make them less happy. And I would also add, Maureen, that uh, this is one for me that I think about a lot. I think it's easy to assume that they aren't working hard, right? That they're lazy. They're working really hard. They work hard because if they don't, they don't eat, right? I mean, this sort of, like, we eat what we kill here, like it's some big thing about how you hit your numbers. Well, it's really <laughs> it's really true in some places, right? If you, if you don't stay out there 12 hours a day, mm-hmm. you don't come home with anything and your kids don't eat. So for me, the power of work and the dignity that it brings beyond mm-hmm. the income mm-hmm. and how much people are willing to invest in that, emotionally, financially, everything else, I didn't really understand that. And I see it now, you know, now that I'm aware mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. it's, it's everywhere. It's every culture that, that work really matters. And again, that's another thing that connects all of this business, social enterprise, not-for-profit. The not-for-profit side might want to be about dignity and human condition. Mm-hmm. And the business might start out about work and thrift and you know, all these sort of Puritan work ethics sort of they all merge like you see this woman who's willing to do anything to help her kids feed her family feed her family I mean, it's about safety and and survival in many cases exactly and so when you when you see that for real and it's not a picture or a story mm-hmm. but it's one that you got to and smell it's not and curated over tv that exactly. is you wonder like what's the agenda mm-hmm. <laughs> here it is that's to me when all these challenges that you laid out have a chance of being solved. Well, and again, I just, uh, I admire, and I imagine if we talked for five hours, we'd hear a whole bunch more. Having been involved in organizations that appear to be doing good, and in fact, disempower, and I see the opposite from you. The partnership around the globe, and I'm hearing a lot of, and we tailor it to each country, and, and each factions in countries, because the dynamics, you talked about the male-female in Muslim countries where many women don't work, that dynamic needs to be attended to that you're not just giving them shoes. Right. There's a whole other set of sociocultural issues that get addressed. That are deep, way deeper than shoes and clothes are going to address. Mm-hmm. But, but they're, not, they're on, they're on the table now. attention to them. Exactly. Causes this to maybe cause people to get killed. Absolutely. It's not just money. It's not just money. That's exactly right. And... Yeah, sorry, I, I go over the top <laughs> on some of this, but, but because it's so important and to overlook the impact is ineffective. And again, just to, that I so applaud the robustness of your model and the impact you're having on entire lives and entire communities and potentially breaking in a, a cycle of poverty, not just for a family Absolutely. or a, a few people. But this is a global enterprise run by 45 people right. counting their steps every day. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> and as we're talking, my Fitbit keeps buzzing because I've been sitting too long. <laughs> so I'm getting alerted. <laughs> so do you have any kind of wrap-up before we close out? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about a lot of things here. And maybe as an individual, you know, the companies mm-hmm. have one way of, in, mm-hmm. of being engaged. But each of us have in our closet right now basically gold we don't look at it that way we think of it as trash maybe like oh, i got to deal with this i'm going to i need to give it away to goodwill mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. i'm done with whatever they're all and yet by souls for souls and there are other organizations but mm-hmm. souls for souls can take that and literally turn it into 
housing, food, education, health care by using the power of markets. Don't let it sit in your closet. The worst thing that can happen is don't is please don't throw it away. That it's bad for the environment and somebody loses an opportunity mm-hmm. from that. And so we think about it almost like alchemy, where you can take trash and turn it into treasure. It's in all of our closets right now. So if you do have that, go to soulsforsouls.org. There's a place you can put in your zip code, and it will give you the closest place to drop it off or mail it in, whatever is mm-hmm. more convenient. We collect all around the world. Okay. Don't let it sit there. There's somebody who can right now make mm-hmm. a difference in mm-hmm. their and their family's lives, and that's what we're all about. So it's souls, the number four, S-O-L-E-S, the number four, S-O-U-L-S. Dot O-R-G. Okay. So souls, the number four, S-O-U-L-S, dot org. That's it. And I'm Maureen Metcalf. Thank you, buddy, so much. It's just, it's amazing work you're doing. And I appreciate that I get the opportunity to be one of the people that shares your story with our listeners. And I encourage our listeners, as you're thinking about what is your purpose beyond work, how are you donating your time? And is there something additionally that you could be doing? And and Buddy's call for donate your stuff. Go through your closet and send it to us. And for those who want to do an eco trip, go to the website and identify an opportunity. When I look at the things that make us resilient, doing for others is one of the biggest antidotes to some of the drama we face in our current lives. So this is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm Maureen Metcalf. I would love to hear your feedback. Either email me, info at metcalf-associates.com, or visit our website, metcalf-associates.com, or our Facebook page and start a conversation. Start a conversation with Buddy and we'll make sure he logs in and, and answers you. We would love to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.